0: In 1994, a movie came out, and <clears throat> to this day, since that since its release in 1994, the entire property of this movie that surrounded this movie has has now equated itself to 8.1 billion dollars. 8.1 billion dollars. This movie is the Lion King. Mmm. It uh, it still eclipsed Star Wars to this day. The entire Star Wars franchise. So in that 8.1 is the original movie, all subsequent movies, books, the Broadway play, all of it. So I kind of started thinking about it and I was wondering why why is it such a big deal even to this day? Why are, you know, why is Lion King 12 coming out soon, you know, whatever. But the reason the reason I was thinking about it was because in light of this week's teaching there's something about the movie. There's something about the story of the Lion King that kind of pings our hearts and our spirits. Um, when the when the creators of the movie, when Walt Disney actually, or when the Disney Corporation came out with the trailer for the movie, they debated for a really long time what should the trailer look like. Should it be different clips from the movie? Should it be you know one of the Elton John's songs and then a montage? And what they'd said is we're actually just going to show the first four minutes of the film, and that was the trailer, because what it showed was. The beauty of God's creation, which, you know, did Disney think of that? Maybe not. Maybe they did. But it showed creation. It showed, it showed nature. It showed the, the beauty of the animals of Africa. It had a wonderful song accompanying it. Some of y'all remember it, the Atzevenia. Penguins on my bottom. <laughs> y'all know. You know what I'm talking about. That's what we said. I don't know. And then, but the great thing is that in the first four minutes of the trailer, there's also a really great image of the Trinity, of the Father and the Son, the Holy Spirit, and the way that the Father honors the Son and lifts him up and, and names him as predecessor, as the King that is to come. And we all know the story of Lion King. His uncle Scar banishes him, tells him, You should run away after his father has died, and he goes out into the wilderness. Are we seeing parallels? Anywhere? Okay, cool. So we have Pride Rock, which is the place where Simba is to rule and reign along with his father, of course. Tragedy comes into the world, uh, brokenness, death, um, and decay, and, um, which causes the relationship between Mufasa and Simba to um, change. Mufasa dies. Spoiler. What are we like? 15 years? Just it's on you. It's not my fault. Uh, I was like what? Nine? I don't know. Uh, But I I really love this image because Simba is sitting at the right hand of the father. Drew, can you see? There you go. Uh, And I just really love that image, and it's it's an image that I. Got to sit with and ponder this week as I as I studied the ascension and kind of heard from the Lord what He wanted to give me on this and what He wanted uh, to use me for to speak to you this morning. So, in light of that, I want us to to as as I as I speak with you this morning and as we ponder God's word to uh, just think about what it looks like for a king, for Simba, for Jesus to. Uh, have a life that was here on earth in the darkness and in the midst of sin, and then for his father to lift him back up uh, to his right hand into authority. So let's pray, and then we're going to get into the word together. Lord, we give you thanks for this morning. Um, May uh, words that are from you be written on our hearts, and what is uh, from me, Lord, may it be forgotten quickly. Uh, We love you. Amen. So, this morning we're going to start out with two different accounts of the Ascension. The first one's going to be in Luke, the second one's going to be in Acts. Uh, We're going to read both of them. Both of them were authored by Luke. So, for the first one, we're going to go to Luke 24, verses 50 and 53, or 50 through 53, I'm sorry. Luke 24, 50 to 53. And if you don't have a Bible this morning, um, we have our our black hardcover Bibles. um, And if you don't own a Bible, then now you do. So we would love for you to take that home and for you to have a copy of the Word with you. Luke 24, verses 50 to 53, right at the very tail end of the Gospel of Luke. And he, Jesus, led them out as far as Bethany, and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. And while he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple, blessing God. So in Luke's account here in his gospel, what I want us to just recognize real quick is that it does say that he led them as far out as Bethany. The really neat parallel here with these, five, with these three verses is that he leads them out to Bethany so that he can ascend it's also, Bethany is also the place where he entered the triumphal entry into Jerusalem so that he could go on to his crucifixion and resurrection. So it's really neat to see that Jesus with his friends, all he wants to do is just bring them full circle, bring them to another place where they can remember their relationship together and where they can remember his character and who he, who he truly was. So from Bethany as the entrance to Bethany for the exit, it's really cool. The next bit of scripture we're gonna jump into, like I said, is Acts. It's Acts chapter one. Flip there, it's one gospel away. Acts one, verses six through 11. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? as he was sent, as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes, and said, "Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who is taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven." This is the word of the Lord. Um, I think it's really important for us just as kind of a baseline here in regards to the story of the Ascension and what it means for us and what it meant for Christ, for Jesus, um, that he did not send himself up. He did not ascend on his own. He, in both Luke and Acts, it says he was raised, okay? So he did not do this of his own volition. The Father raised him up to the rightful place as his son. The word ascend is kind of a funny one too. It, uh, it has a lot of definitions if you actually look into it in the dictionary. The ones that um, really rang true for me this week were uh, to go toward the source or beginning and to ascend to the throne. So these are you know just dictionary definitions. And I love that to go toward the source or beginning Because what else is Christ doing other than going to the beginning, the omega, I mean the alpha? So first, as we kind of dive into the scriptures here together, what I want to do is um, I want to talk about uh, the Western view of ascension, the ascension of Jesus' ascension, and the kingdom view of ascension. So um, there is this really uh, weird view that Western Christianity has had where we, we really fixate on the actual ascension, the, the, the physical rising of Jesus um, into the sky for some reason. It may have looked something like, no other one, sorry, yeah. So there's just this, this kind of fixation with his body levitated. He went physically from the ground into the sky, and we get really wrapped up, in what some people might call the magic show. Um, and the sad thing is that that is such a tiny aspect of the, full, of the full scope, of the full story of what the ascension was. So with the physical aspect, we have the, the disciples looking up into the sky, um, wondering what's happening, crouching in fear, not sure what's happening. But then in the scriptures we have the two angels, the two men come down and begin ministering to the disciples. The important thing to recognize with the two angels that come to minister to the men is that they are the messengers who are telling the disciples, hey, what's important here is not that his physical ascension was not important, but the important thing here, the kingdom view not the Western view, not the human view, but the kingdom view is that Jesus Christ has ascended from the earth to heaven to be seated with his Father at his right hand to be crowned King of kings, Lord of lords. And this is the big point for today, is that we, view, we have a right view in saying that Jesus Christ is our Savior. He died on the cross for our sins, so that we can be reunited with our Father God, clothed in the righteousness of Christ. We see uh, in the scriptures that he rose from the dead, walked with his people, and then now he's ascended. So that's where we're going today. We want to focus on his lordship. The lordship of Christ came into fulfillment when he was raised from earth to heaven to be seated at the right hand of the Father. In scripture... um, we dive back into the book of Acts. We go to Acts 2. You don't have to flip there. I'm going to read it for you. But we flip to Acts 2, 32 and 33. It says, this Jesus God raised up, and of that we all are witnesses. This is Luke, again, remember, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God. So we have Luke, again, uh, penning the words of God saying, yes, he was exalted, He was raised, and he was seated at the right hand. And the big bit of scripture that we're going to dive into today is going to be Philippians 2, 1 through 11. So if you do want to flip there, you can. This is going to be the the bit of scripture that um, is going to bring some clarity for us about the ascension itself. Philippians 2, verses 1 through 11. I'm going to read it for you. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So, one of the reasons that this scripture is really huge for us is because we essentially get the full life of Christ in three verses. So uh, we find, <clears throat> uh, starting in verse verse 5, we'll, we can start there. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not equ- equ- uh, count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Equality with God and in the form of God. So this is a little sign for us that He was God and was sent to us and for us as a child, as a baby in a manger. But he did not equate equality with God as a thing to be grasped. So we also in this picture see that through his life, his sinful life and his humble life, he emptied himself so that he could be fully human with us. So In these verses, we're seeing fully God and fully human. But but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So verse 8 gives us his ministry, his crucifixion, and his death. And then verse 9, therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed him Name that is above every name. And we're given the ascension there in the end. So, Philippians, um, although it does not say the word ascension, we are given the image and the picture and the story that leads up to Christ's ascension and how God did that through his life. It also gives us a picture of how we're to exalt him in our lives. It says, every knee and every tongue. We are to exalt him with every word and with every deed in our life. We are to recognize him as our savior, to accept him so that our righteous relationship, so that we can have a righteous relationship with, with God. But we're also It's also us taking Jesus off of the cross and putting him on the throne. And in our own lives, removing us off of our thrones and putting us onto the cross so that we can sacrifice our lives for those around us. A.W. Tozer has a wonderful quote that talks about this. It's gonna be up on the screen, it says, in every Christian's heart there is a cross and a throne and the Christian is on the throne till he puts himself on the cross. He refuses the cross, he remains on the throne. Perhaps this is at the bottom of the backsliding and worldliness among gospel believers today. We want to be saved, but we insist that Christ do all the dying. No cross for us, no dethronement, no dying. We remain king within the little kingdom of man's soul and wear our tinsel crown with all the pride of a Caesar. But we doom ourselves to shadows and weakness and spiritual sterility. Okay, Tozer, thanks, bro. Uh, But as I read that, all of us said, yeah, I do that. I like my throne. And even as as we recognize these things, as we're humbled by the Spirit, as we're brought to the reality of Christ in our life, um, we still struggle with it. We dethrone ourselves from time to time. But Christ's lordship at the right hand of God in his ascension calls us to permanently remove ourselves and walk in a life of humility. So that's kind of the big question for today is, are you still on the throne? And what does it look like for you to dethrone yourself so that Christ can be in his rightful place in your life? In the kingdom of God, he's there. Jesus is asking, will you let me be your Lord as well as your Savior? In that passage in Philippians, verses six and seven says, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself. If Christ can empty himself, who was fully man and fully God, we know that we have an advocate who intercedes for us who can help us to learn how to do that, how to empty ourselves, how to remove ourselves from the throne so that we can place him in the, right, in the rightful place in our lives. In the book of Romans, uh, chapter 8:34 it says, Christ Jesus is the one who died, more than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us who indeed is interceding for us in any kingdom uh, to have the favor of the ultimate ruler to have the ultimate ruler of that place of that kingdom of that country in many ways is the most sought after thing that we can desire Um, in America in the United States we have the presidential pardon slate, slate is wiped clean that is what Christ did for us on the cross as our Savior that is what Jesus Christ our Lord our ascended Lord continues to do for us as our intercessor sitting at the right hand of God is there a look? Be there. Side note: <clears throat> the ascension is not talked about a lot, and I think part of it goes back to the reality. The reality that as Westerners we don't view the reality of the ascension in the same way that Eastern culture did or does, and so, like I said, we get wrapped up and a human body was raised off the surface of the earth into a cloud and like, okay, hold on. The reality is that this process takes massive amounts of faith and belief to move into, but God also says a mustard seed, right? So I just, if you're feeling confused, if you're feeling like the the reality of the ascension is heavy and big, I just pray right now that you would... um, just, just have Christ come and minister to you in this that he is your Savior and he is your Lord and that the ascension is something that we can um, have prophecy, not prophecy about, but gain understanding about. I just wanted to say that. And so what does having Christ as the Lord of our life actually look like? Well, I heard three separate things this week. Um, the first one was that as the Lord of our life, um, we're called to trust him. So trust is is something that we learn about through Proverbs chapter three, verses five and six. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding and all of your ways acknowledge Him, and He will make your paths straight. I have this verse tattooed on my thigh, and it was the first verse I ever memorized in a Bethmore Bible study, Bethmore and uh, it's it's insane because I, it was the first memory verse in this little devotional and, you know, at the time I just was so excited because I'd actually memorized a Bible verse. as like this little baby Christian. I was like, "Ha, that's pretty sweet. I'm like, I'm going to heaven now. That's great. (laughs) But the way that the Lord has ministered to me in the realm of trust through these two verses has been unbelievable. Um, So, you know, I point to these as there's two verses that can be a compass for us to move into the trust of our Lord Jesus Christ. Second, um, this is a tough one, is submission. Submission. James 4.7 Submit yourselves therefore to God. Um, it's a little it's a little iffy to talk about in, in American culture, I think, but we don't We we like our individuality Um, a lot of our parents told us that we were special um, and we are we're we're unique Uh, we're uniquely created beings that that god knit together perfectly in, in our mother's wombs but we're also a people or a flock that are under christ and the flock through trust must submit itself to the shepherd so that they can be cared for and protected and fed and led to safety and led to the living water. That's all I'll say about submission right now. Um, It's a really heavy topic in today's world, I think. Um, And I think it's because, from a worldly perspective, many of us, to some degree, don't trust our leaders. We don't want to submit to them because we don't feel that they are safe. but the Lord Jesus Christ sitting on his throne, having ascended, asks us to trust him, and to submit to him because he is good and he is righteous and he loves us. And because he loves us, number three, Deuteronomy 6, 5, we are called to love the Lord of our life as well. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. And the cool thing about This verse is that it actually speaks to the other verses as well. Um, I'm reminded that we're called to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. We're not called to be blind sheep. We're called to be sheep of the shepherd with our eyes wide open, watching where he is going and watching his ways. If the ascension is still confusing, I apologize. I'm trying my best. It's, It's a really heavy topic. J.A. Mocher has a great quote and it really clarified all of it for me. It says, plainly, the ascension is the leading to the universal banishment of all that is incognito about the kingship of Jesus. The ascension is leading to the universal banishment of all that is incognito about the kingship of Jesus. So, The reason I love this quote, and the reason that it was I feel like the Lord brought it to me is because what it does is it reveals to us that the ascension is the final pulling back of the remainder of the curtain, showing us exactly who Jesus was, is, and is going to be. That is what the ascension does for us. It shows us exactly who he is and reveals the fullness of himself to us so that we can accept him as our Lord as we have accepted him as our savior. And going back to Drew's sermon last week, it is also the catalyst for the church to begin doing the work that Christ showed us how to do through his hands and feet and his words here on earth. So today, as we go out, the two things I want you to remember about the ascension. Three, the first thing is that Jesus Christ ascended to the throne and he sits there today as our Lord. Two, is that the ascension reveals to us the fullness of who Christ is by completely removing all of the hiddenness that he had to veil himself in as a human being here on earth. And three, it signifies the start line of when the church was called to begin to go out and be the hands and feet of Christ. Those are the three things that we need to know about the ascension. There's massive kingdom implications that honestly, through study, I've found that we're only going to learn about them on the other side of the plane. Right? As as we feel about a lot of things in Scripture. But there's assuredness that he sits on the throne for us. Um, I want to pray now and I want to pray a very old prayer. I want to pray together the Apostles' Creed. Um, scripture, the Bible. This is the story of God uh, who leads us into a faith in Him. The Apostles' Creed is our tweet that sums up this. And the great thing about the Apostles' Creed is that yes, it is so old, and yes, it was written by men, and no, it is you know technically not considered scripture. But it is beautiful because it points to scripture in every single word and every single line. So let's stand and affirm our faith together by professing the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, the creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, the only Son, our Lord. He was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. amen. Lord, thank you for this time. Um, Thank you for this family of believers that you've brought together. Um, Help us to recognize you as our Lord. We pray all these things in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.